for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This week, we'll delve into two interesting and important stories in Charlottesville. First up, we'll hear from a few of the artists behind a resurgence in the drag show scene here in town. And in the second half, Charlotte Renee Woods tells us the ways in which trees are an equity issue. I'm going to hand things over to Alana Bittner. You might have noticed there's a lot of new drag events popping up around town. You can find drag shows going on at the Southern, Picasso Swig, Common Grounds, and even Elements Yoga Studio, to name a few. There are two people behind this revival of local drag. As drag performers, they go by B.B. Gunn and Cherry Poppins. I sat down with B.B., Cherry, and fellow performer Darling Nikki to discuss the art of drag and their upcoming shows. For sure. And we go first off, if you want to introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, where you're from. Hello, I'm B.B. Gunn. I'm a Charlottesville drag queen. My pronouns are in drag, she and her. Outside of drag is he, him. Hi, I'm Cherry Poppins, and my pronouns are God. He, she, they, them, Z, Zaddy, whatever. Like, as long as you call me, I'm okay. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is uh, Darling Nikki. My pronouns, out of drag, he, him, in drag, uh, your majesty. The three of them are not actually from Charlottesville. Cherry lives in Roanoke, BB in Richmond, and Nikki's from Lynchburg. But they do shows all over central Virginia. Cherry's been doing drag for eight years and BB for six, while Nikki just began over the pandemic. What would be your first memory or encounter with the world of drag? I remember the first drag queen that I ever saw. She was this beautiful woman wearing these blue and, like, yellow feathers. She looked like a showgirl. From the back of the bar, I was like, oh my god, she's gorgeous. I have to, like, give her a dollar. We're all, like, swarming up to give her, like, money. And I kept getting closer, and I was like, she's so lovely, Oh, she's a great dancer. She's so pretty. And I got close, like, close enough to actually hand her the dollar. And I looked her in the face and I was like, God, she's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I was so, like, shocked and intrigued to, like, know that there were so many layers to this performer. So much all at once. But, like, I was just enthralled with it. I wanted to start drag as a means to get over my stage fright. um, As a means to push myself out of my comfort zone, do something that I wouldn't traditionally do. And it just ended up being the thing. It's a chance for me to funnel all the artistic things that I can't do as regular boy me. I can channel all of that into my drag character and just make her the craziest, zaniest, weirdest, wackiest person that I can. But the process of going from fan to performer is not easy. Getting started is the hardest part because you don't know a damn thing. Especially, like, coming from, like, my background, I didn't know anything. I was like, where do I even get a wig? Where do I even get, like, I don't even know what, like, the costumes are called. They're called leotards and bodysuits. But, like, I didn't know that. How does an aspiring drag queen learn this information? That's where the concept of a drag family comes in. That's basically a close-knit group of queens who perform together and help each other out. The senior figure of the group is often known as the drag mother. A drag mother, I see that as someone who's guiding uh, the family in the right way. 
helping them get bookings, booking them in shows, promoting each other. There's a more personal component to it as well, as Nikki explains. Yeah, so um, what's actually interesting is, like, like my family is very uh, Christian, very sheltering. Parents are kicking their kids out, or, like, a lot of times in my case, I had to, like, leave. Um, and whenever you leave or whenever you get kicked out, you have this space in your heart that's empty, um, that, like, needs to be filled by some kind of maternal or paternal figure. Um, so, like, I just started kind of coming to the club, and it was the people that I gravitated to the most. Like, now the people who I've found, like, like, that chosen family, the people that you go with, that's, that is where you get those terms of, like, drag mom. Believe it or not, Cherry is essentially my drag mother. Um, she put BB together. She was the, she was the reason that I got started. The two met at a drag talent show. Bibi was performing, and Cherry was a judge. Afterwards, they ran into each other backstage, and something just clicked. I could see there was something special there, so I was like, hey, bitch. Let's hang out, and here we are six years later. As drag mom, Cherry helped Bibi with her makeup skills. When I used to try to teach Bibi how to do her makeup, like I would do the left eye, and I'd be like, okay, do that on the right eye. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> just look at her from the left. You just gotta practice like that. Good. And now you look s- symmetrical. I love it. I'm here for it. Cherry also helped BB choose her name. We went through this process because, like, I was trying to be like twinsy sisters with Cherry. I was like, I'll go by uh, Miss Berry. Well, before she- that, she wanted to be Blueberry Poppins. Blueberry Poppins. Yeah. I don't. That, that's that's too. That's a little bit Strawberry too much. Poppins. And it sort of devolved into like, it was a blueberry. Oh Are you gonna blurberry, tell nickname? And then Blurby. Blurby is my nickname. That fucking fit. <laughs> so then, um, that devolved into Miss BB, and I was going by Miss BB for a long time. And one day we were like going through this cabinet that was in the living room. I was just like turned my head and turned back around, and there's BB literally holding a gun. And I said, what the fuck is going on with here? And he said, don't worry, it's just a BB gun. I'm also curious, like, what style of drag are you most drawn to? I would categorize my drag as weird. It's not very mainstream. A lot of people aren't going to get what I'm doing. But they're going to have a good time. They're going to laugh. They're going to be like, oh, that BB, she's a ball of energy. I usually find inspiration in music that's just obscure. Like, I rarely will do a top 40 song. I will always pull out something nobody's ever fucking heard of. And that's that's just going to be the vibe. Because, like, at the end of the day, I'm doing drag for myself. This weird drag contrasts to other styles of drag. Pageant drag, for example, often comes with more rules and requirements, which can sometimes feel limiting. If your but hair isn't big, you're not wearing nails, you have to have breasts. They insist you wear nails, and I'm like, no, Nikki's a lesbian, I don't need those. <laughs> um, but like, also, not all women wear nails. Exactly. Like, They could be like, that was the most awe-inspiring performance I've ever seen. Like That really touched my heart. But your hemline was about three inches too short. It was like sort of the same thing over and over. And I was like, you know what? I want to go up there and just spit out blood and like freak people out. And I did. People were like, oh my God, we want to see more of you. 
This actually reflects a wider shift in drag culture. Drag now is just so different than what it used to be. It's like now the more expressive, artistic, uh, weird drag is on a rise. I originally viewed it as more of like a female impersonation kind of thing, but actually kind of getting into drag and learning more about it, it's it's more like just playing with gender, less with like something so binary. It's it's a it's a ploy on the female form, the male form, and everything in between. Something that I'm starting to do now is like I won't wear my breastplate as much. I love my boobs, don't get me wrong. But like they are about five pounds of silicone and I'm a man, so I sweat. So it's a lot. After several years of performing in other people's shows, BB and Cherry felt ready to take their drag to the next level. Like mid twenty twenty one, uh I decided, well, you know what? I think we should go ahead and start our own shows. And I was like, Cherry, you know, I had told you before, if I was to ever get my own show, I would do a show with you. They began hosting shows in Richmond, but then Charlottesville caught their eye. There seemed to be a need. Past drag venues, such as Escafé and Impulse, have closed. Dreamabelle, Charlottesville's longtime reigning queen, has moved away. BB and Cherry realized something had to be done. Essentially, we brought drag back. Uh, they really did. They brought it back to the city. There, there was nothing. There was nothing up here. Impulse closed. Impulse closed. Most yeah. yeah. the Waynesboro. Dreamabelle and, um, stopped doing shows up here. Every, everybody at every show was like, where are you guys? There is no gay scene. What's going on? And I hadn't heard of so anyone else So it was just a wide anything. open space. We're like, you know there what? was a vacuum. So I was like, let's. let's I was like, Cherry, let's let's do it. Like we we there's no one else. A typical show for them has four or five performers. There's lots of dancing, musical numbers, lip syncing, and high camp comedy. So yeah, could you explain um, what your goals are for your shows, or or like what makes your shows special? What makes us special is that not just BB and Cherry, but like Tommy and Josh, like us out of drag, like we're actually friends and people can see that like, you know, we have a connection. We care about each other. We want to have like fun and that draws people in to like create a space to where people just are connected and they feel just just like they just want to let loose and have fun. Like I just, I just love the energy that we're giving um, supporting new talent, bringing new entertainers into the limelight. I want local queens to come out and support our show because, like, that's honestly, that's all I ask. I'll give you a booking. I don't care. Get up there and show us what you can do. Bio queens, regular drag queens, alt queens, club kids, like, we'll, we'll do it all. Like, because I like a good uh, diversity in a show because, like, I want every performance to stand out. What really shines through in their shows, however, is their love and passion for what they do. I see it as an art form, a very different art form, a, a very queer art form. But I, I see drag just as much as I see like a painting on a wall. Seeing a drag queen put on a performance is like seeing the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. And to be able to do it is is just a next level experience. It's It's something I absolutely adore nothing personally makes me happier than just you know getting up there getting on stage having a good time and just seeing the expression on my audience's face 
the pure joy, the bewilderment, the just like, did she just do that? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And it was amazing. And you loved it. That was B.B. Gunn, Cherry Poppins, and Darling Nikki discussing their drag events in Charlottesville. If you want to see them in action, you can check them out at the Southern, Picasso Swig, Common House, and Elements Yoga, where they do regular shows. But if you just can't wait for the next performance, you're in luck. This very weekend, they have a special event coming up. We're also putting on a birthday celebration for Miss Cherry Poppins herself. So if you want to come celebrate the beauty, the grace, the stunningness that is Miss Cherry Poppins, go ahead and pop out to Picasso April 23rd. And that's Picasso Swig right off the downtown mall on April 23rd at 7.30 p.m. You can find all this information and more on Soundboard's website. You can also follow the queens on Instagram. Cherry Poppins is at Cherry Toke. Toke is T-O-K-E. BB Gun is BB underscore gun. That's B-E-B-E underscore gun with three N's. And Nikki is at Darling Nikki Drag. Nikki is N-I-K-K-I. Come on out, support queer art, and don't forget to tip your drag queens. I'm Alana Bittner for Charlottesville Soundboard on WTJU 91.1 FM. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, the opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. Thanks for sticking around. I'm going to hand things over to Sarah Howarth, who interviewed Charlotte Renee Woods of Charlottesville Tomorrow about the dangerous lack of trees in the 10th and Page neighborhood. I'm Charlotte Renee Woods, and I am Charlottesville Tomorrow's government reporter. People would normally think that temperature in a city is kind of a universal measurement, but that's not the case in Charlottesville, especially at 10th and Page. Can you tell me why? So yeah, the city conducted a heat study last summer. There's been heat studies happening across the country to discover like the urban heat island effect, which is where, you know, pockets of intense heat are created by usually a lack of trees and green space and impervious surfaces. Tenth and Page has historically had less trees than other neighborhoods. And I was speaking with some environmental scientists, Jeremy Hoffman, who's with the Science Museum of Virginia, and Jacoby Wilson, who is a professor at University of Maryland. And they specialize in connecting sort of and drawing the lines between past land use and urban planning decisions and where we're seeing our urban heat islands to this day. And both of them were telling me that it's not uncommon. Charlottesville is not alone in this. Usually the formerly redlined areas or um, where racial covenants were used that prevented people of color from purchasing homes. Today, you'll see areas that were majority white once upon a time are where we still see our more robust urban tree canopies. Those trees were planted with intention. They've been able to grow. They've been maintained. Parts of it sometimes gets down to lot sizes. There are obviously other heat islands within Charlottesville, like the downtown mall. Obviously, lots of parking lots, lots of impervious services, not as many trees. Tenth and Page is the hottest residential area, though, and a lot of the parcels are a little bit smaller, so the house is taking up more of the space. So you already described what a heat island is, but I was wondering what effects can that have on the people living in it? Solving urban heat islands helps achieve a couple of goals that Charlottesville has concerning environmental protections and air quality along with equity. 
So trees, they provide carbon capture, which helps reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But shade from a tree can help reduce your energy bills that you have. If there's more direct sunlight hitting your house or your apartment all day, you have to spend a little more to heat and cool. Also factor in that a lot of homes in 10th and Page are like over 100 years old. So they were built at a time when there were different energy efficiency and construction standards. And then there's a lot of like older folks on fixed incomes living in 10th and Page. So then, you know, a higher energy bill is going to hurt your pocketbook a little more than, you know, someone who isn't on a fixed income. Also air quality, it gets into like, if you have a pre-existing condition like COPD or asthma, severe allergies, much allergies with trees, I know sometimes that can be the problem, but having better air quality can make your pre-existing conditions less intense. Then also heat, you know, like in summer months, I cited a study in my report that was called Code Red. It was done in Baltimore, neighborhoods that had less or no trees at all. In the summer months, there were more 911 calls related to like heat strokes or people passing out from being extra hot, you know, plus dehydrated. So trees, I guess working on this article changed the way I look at and think about trees now. And so the Tree Commission has been making recommendations about preserving existing trees because the Charlottesville's tree canopy has declined in recent years. So preserving existing trees is something that they're advocating for, but then planting new trees wherever possible, however possible. And then also in construction process, like as the city is working on its rezoning, the Tree Commission is coordinating with the group that's working on that and they, the consultants. And they are also recommending like during the development or redevelopment process, because we've got new projects coming around town. We've got redevelopment of existing homes and apartments and public housing just through that process, preserving trees while you're going into your site plans, but also planting new trees or creating green spaces are some of the recommendations. So it seems like there is some stuff being done already to kind of combat this issue, but how is the situation projected to develop in the coming years? Well, right now, that's why the Tree Commission is advocating to City Council and to the rezoning process with the Planning Commission and Seville Plans Together, because the actions that we take now will have effects over time. Like the reason that the tree canopy has declined is because for X amount of years, no one was thinking about protecting trees or recognizing the intersectionality of like all these things that trees connect with. In your article, it says that people are still having to cut down their kind of only developed trees near their homes, especially in the 10th and Page area, like we said before. Why is that? Another example of how much I have learned about trees, (laughs) diving into the weeds, so to speak. Tree types are crucial on where you plant them in in native trees that are native to the particular climate that they're in. If we tried to plant a palm tree here, it's not native to central Virginia. You'd have to water it more and, and it would need more care. So... And then if you have like a tree that um, like a giant ash tree or an oak, it will grow large. As much as you see underground, there's a whole lot of root systems connecting um, and expanding. So if you have a smaller right of way, a public right of way, or a smaller front yard or a little parklet somewhere, you're going to, you know, obviously need to plant trees that don't need to get as large versus if you have a larger plot of land. So this is definitely an issue of discrimination as 10th and Page is a historically Black area and neighborhood. Is there any way that Charlottesville residents can help with this problem or at least bring it to the attention of others or those in charge? So the city actually does. It has its own planting program. They go around planting in a lot of like public right-of-ways or on city property. It's a bit trickier when you're dealing with like private residents, like a single family home or an apartment building, talking to the landlord or the management company to plant trees. So that's why there's volunteer groups that have sprouted up. I'm just going for it with the puns today, but Relief Seville is sort of a consortium of different volunteer groups that also involves another volunteer group called Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards. 
you know, they've raised some funds and they're, a, you know, a volunteer group of people that go around talking to different residents saying, hey, we would like to plant a tree in your yard. Let's make this happen. Um, and then also recently, the city hosted a sort of sign up first come first serve basis um, through a grant with the Arbor Day Foundation to dispense trees for people to put some saplings in their yard and then also coordinated with the utilities department to figure out like where's the best place in the yard to plant the tree for energy saving benefits, but also to not interfere with your home's foundation or underground utilities, because a lot of times there's things competing for space underground. You spoke to a couple people in the 10th and Page area. What did they have to say about the issue and how it's been affecting them personally? So one of the people I spoke with, he has been living in 10th and Page for a couple of years and he goes on a lot of walks for his mental health. And he was telling me how he noticed like when he's in 10th and Page where he lives, he's like, yeah, it's, it's hotter here in the summer. There's not a lot of shade. He noticed that there were less trees. And it's one of those things you don't notice until you notice it. Just nearby Barracks Rugby area, you drive down that road, the tree canopy shades everything. When you were researching this topic and talking to people and learning more, what surprised you the most? I guess what I could say was not surprising, which is not quite what you asked, but was just how this was another example of how our country historically has not equally served people and how past land use decisions, like you see the effects of these today. So it just was another way for me to go, oh, wow, even with trees. And then also, I guess something that was surprising was to learn just how important they are. The fact that, you know, our city has a tree commission, like people who specialize in advocating for planning around and caring for trees to be able to speak to our other facets of local government. I just think that that's interesting. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? One last thing I'll add, I, I just found interesting because I'm a you know a policy nerd, is there is state law that passed that allows local governments to basically create an ordinance that would tell developers, okay, you have to preserve or plant X amount of trees. And if you can't, you can contribute some funding into this like general fund that will go towards tree planting elsewhere in the state. And a lot of that probably also feeds into like riparian buffers, which is where you have a lot of vegetation planted alongside creeks and rivers just to keep stormwater runoff, you know, animals that shouldn't be going to the bathroom in the water from doing that. So it's just interesting to see how state and local governments can work together on, you know, environmental protections, but also the roles that, you know, volunteers and businesses and homeowners and even renters can play in all of this. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for including that. And also thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Still have more questions? Keep an eye out for Charlottesville Tomorrow's follow-up article regarding tree cover in 10th and Page and their heat island status. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our producers this week are Sarah Howarth and Alana Bittner. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marona Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard. Mm-hmm.